ready to get into the word today. I decided early last week I was going to put a pause on what I originally planned as I prayerfully observed what is going on in our world. Locally, I actually showed my support for some local political leaders who are Jewish, and quite frankly, I don't always agree with their political views, Uh, But they had my support as they were personally experiencing anti-Semitism in our city. And just like I would go to bat, and if you've been going to real life for any length of time, just like I would go to bat for anyone else experiencing racism of any sort, I was told in a message by someone that once respected me that God was going to judge me for my stance against Palestine, which I did not say at all, by the way. I didn't say anything about standing, uh, standing against Palestinians. I simply liked, you know the little heart on Twitter? I simply liked a post of a local leader who was experiencing anti-Semitism And I liked a post that was standing against terrorism and the actions of Hamas. How many know there's a big difference? To respond biblically to terrorism, radical Islam, and anti-Semitism is not to stand against any other ethnicity. It's to stand against the evil forces behind the ideologies that drive groups like Hamas. And just so you know, I'm not, um, I'm not parroting any news media or channel. This is from my study and seeking the Lord. The atrocities of war and the loss of innocent lives is heartbreaking. And so is terrorism, radical Islamic ideologies, and anti-Semitism when it goes unchecked as history reveals through the Holocaust when six million Jews were killed. A few years ago, a few years ago we created a series called Truth Talks. Everybody say Truth Talks. <laughs> to address complex issues in our culture and our world. And there's no doubt there's complexity and confusion regarding the war between Israel and Gaza and the mass free Palestine protests happening around the world. But here's what I know. As believers, we can't act like it's not happening and ignore it and hoping that it will just go away. We must learn how to respond biblically and responsibly So we can engage spiritually and practically and not cower to the spirit of the age. Hosea 4, verse 1 and 6. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God 
in our land. Another translation says it this way. The Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The case being made against Israel, because I love to preach out of context, so I'm just not picking, picking and choosing to create a great message. I'm, I want to give you some context about what's happening when Hosea is prophesying The case being made against Israel during the time period of Hosea is that there was no truth or mercy in the land. This is what we need to understand as believers is that the absence of truth is always an invitation for the presence of evil. Because of the absence of truth, we witness the acknowledgement of God missing in Hosea from Israel's national and social life and the results of immorality, chaos, confusion, and a total breakdown of society. This is Hosea chapter 4. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but you can read it. It is this disintegration of community and national life that we read about in Hosea that is all too familiar in our contemporary world as we witness the result of the lack of knowledge pertaining to the spiritual political and social turmoil that is happening in our world, especially as it pertains to what is happening in Israel and Gaza. This is what we see happening in our world and even in our own country right now, because anytime you take truth out of the equation, evil will come knocking at your door. I want us to say right up front, just in case you didn't know The meta-narrative of Scripture, in other words, the entire story of Scripture, is is God dealing with his chosen people, Israel, in their spiritual struggle. And yet God is never gives up on Israel or Jewish people, just like he hasn't given up on you and I or anybody else. So this, listen, this is not a Jew versus Arab message. In this particular passage, the priests, how many know priests have a responsibility? How many know pastors have a responsibility? The priest whose primary duty was to teach the law of God to the people in Hosea had failed to do so. The result is that the priests, come on, how many know, as goes the leader, come on, as goes the followers. The result was that the priests, the people, and the nation alike stumble and perish, Hosea 4 to 5. Because why? You have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from from being priests for me. The knowledge that is being rejected in Hosea, in this passage, means more than simply a mental understanding of God's word. 
It actually involves a deep-seated spiritual relationship with the Lord involving commitment of the heart as well as the mind. How many know we've got to think correctly as believers today? In other words, you cannot be a Christian in 2023 who is spiritually engaged and mentally checked out of what, what, about what's going on in the world. Let me just say that again since I stumbled. You cannot be a Christian in 2023 who is spiritually engaged and mentally checked out about what's going on in the world. It challenges the, t- the signs of the times, the things that are happening in our world. Listen, they should challenge us. They do challenge. I was challenged this week. I've been challenged actually the last several weeks, and the Lord has been taking me on a journey. I'm not an end times expert. I'm not a, a, an expert in eschatology. I, yeah, I had to pass all those classes to get through Bible college, but the last few weeks, the Lord's been taking me on a journey. It challenges us. It should challenge us, the things that are happening in this world. It challenges church leaders and Christians not only to have a knowledge, a saving knowledge of their Lord, but in the context of this truth talk that we're having today, it also requires a knowledge of the Lord's land, the Holy Land. It's been interesting because in 2019, we again, I mentioned this last week, we took a group of 32 to the Holy Land. And so all those pictures are popping up because we went in November of 2019. Nobody told me that actually that's not a great time to go to Israel because beginning in Yom Kippur, uh, when Yom Kippur hits, actually that's when the missiles start striking. In fact, when we were there, three over 300 missiles were launched into Israel. And we were like, should we be scared? And because, listen, it is a way of life, they're like, what do you mean? What are you worried about? What do you mean, what am I worried about? (laughs) As your pastor, I have a responsibility to teach you the word. You cannot teach the word accurately without understanding the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem through God's eyes. Israel is mentioned in the Bible over 2,500 times. It is mentioned in both the old and the new. In fact, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And it's often referred to the promised land, we've all heard that, right? Or the land of Israel. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is mentioned over 800 times in Scripture. For the record, the Quran doesn't make one mention of Jerusalem. If anyone should be speaking about the Holy Land, it should be God's holy people. There's no reason for silence, there's no reason for confusion, there's no reason for chaos. There's no reason to succumb to a spirit of intimidation and fear that right now is being released in the earth. For the believer, there is no reason to succumb to the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, it's not on the screen. The Lord gave it to me last night. 
I'm reading out of the Amplified. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. And it's easy, listen, if you're not careful, listen, it's easy to open yourself up to a spirit of fear right now, right in your living room, watching whatever uh, news channel you watch. Come on, how we know the spirit of fear knows no bounds. And if we're not careful, we'll open our lives to it and we'll cower to it. It's easy to find ourselves doing that. I want to challenge you. When you encounter the spirit of fear, listen, don't run away from it. Run at it. Run at it. And how do we run at it? We run at it by diving into the word of God. We run at it. Listen, listen, not not in our human strength. Listen, not in hostility or hatred. But we run at it like this. Humility. Humility, not hostility. We pray God's kingdom would come. His will be done on earth that is in heaven. So he says this. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but yet we see the spirit of fear literally being ushered in by the enemy every minute. Come on. Every, if you're watching the news, you know. He has given us a spirit of power, of love, I like this, and sound judgment, and personal discipline. Come on, how do we know we've got to discipline ourselves, come on, to dig a little deeper than just a Sunday morning message that's going to make you feel good? I'm trying, my, my heart today is to get you, to get, to give you something to stand on. We, we actually, I was in the barbershop. Bunch of guys were talking about, talking. How you know guys like to talk? Man, how, you know, I'm just going to say that half the people don't know what they're talking about. I'm just saying, especially in a barbershop where they're taking shots of tequila and all that stuff. They have no idea what, I'm like, what? I'm like, it's like, Jesus, help us. He has given us a spirit of power, love, and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. That's the amplified version, 2 Timothy 1.7. There is no reason not to have confidence or boldness in speaking directly to these issues if we have basic, everybody say basic, basic. biblical knowledge and historical facts. Basic knowledge and historical facts. The land in question, do we have that map, Janae? I don't know if we have that map. We do? If you could put it up there, if you have it. If not, I'll show it to you next week. We don't have it. That's all right. The land that is in question is the most documented land on planet Earth. And it just so happens we have one of the greatest resources at our fingertips, the Holy Bible. As believers, we shouldn't verify our facts through TikTok. (laughs) 
In fact, if you, if, if, if you just have any kind of discernment and, and you just study this a little bit, you'll see that they're shutting down these channels of terrorist groups because they're just feeding a generation propaganda. In fact, you, you can see this. You can, you can go do the research yourself. I won't do it for you. We shouldn't leave it up to the news media. We shouldn't leave it up to just a podcast. You can learn from a podcast, but just a podcast. We shouldn't ignore it as someone else's problem. We shouldn't be passive in our posture in taking a biblical stance. We shouldn't leave it up to culture because as I've mentioned before, we don't take our cues from culture. We should take our cues from scripture. Daniel 11.32, I say verse B. It says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Can we just, can we just quote that together? Listen, the, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. With that said, it's important to know that just because we don't fully understand something doesn't excuse us to not do anything. They call that sins of omission. Sins of commission are things that you know are wrong and you do them. Sins of omission are things that you know you should do, but you don't do them. <laughs> the ongoing war in Israel and Gaza requires Christians to meaningfully and mindfully engage. But how do we make a difference? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? I've been asking myself a lot. How can we make a difference? The answer is found in clearing up confusion so that we can engage in worship, prayer, and intercession. I told the staff this week, we're facing a bunch of adversity as a team, and so we, we came together in our first 20 minutes. I just turned on the, the worship music, and we just began to intercede. Come on, how many know sometimes praying is better than planning? <clears throat> and we just began to intercede, and, and I closed that time, and I told each and one of them, I said, this is more than just a job. We are in a spiritual battle. Newsflash, church. Come on. This is more than just a Sunday, come on, fun hour. Come on. This, come on. You are in a spiritual battle. And the answer is found in clearing up confusion so we can engage in worship, prayer, and intercession. And I believe being obedient to what God is telling us to do. The hesitancy to obey scripture and be more influenced by the narrative of culture should concern us. When I see what's happening in our world right now, I'm reminded of scriptures like this. Again, this is not on the screen. This is a Holy Spirit early morning download. All right. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I'm not saying the scripture implies we think one way about the current crisis or one approach to the complexity of things happening in Israel and Gaza. That's nearly impossible, especially to get it done in about 35 minutes. But what I'm saying is we better be careful about what train we're jumping on because they're not all going to take you to the same place. 
And there are two practical things. Some of y'all nervous. You just don't know what to do. You just, that's all right. There are two practical things we can do to make a spiritual difference in the Middle East, no matter where we live. Psalm 122, verse six to nine, says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels for the sake of my family and friends. I will say, peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. I will seek your prosperity. Let me give you the first practical thing we can do as believers, and it is this, to deal with misconception and deception that we're being fed on a daily basis. Listen, the enemy, when when you get to verses like this and you hesitate and you begin to question God, can I really pray that? Listen, the enemy doesn't want us to unite in prayer, so he divides us by error. Let me just give you some revelation for this verse. So if you think that you're taking sides because you're praying a prayer that God asks us to pray, let me just give you some revelation. Can I give you some revelation? To pray for the peace of Jerusalem is not to oppose Arab peoples as an entity or to oppose the rights of Arabs living in Israel to have a peaceful, politically secure, and prosperous life. In fact, when you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for both Jews and Arabs and many other ethnicities. This is why God, listen, this is why God has us pray for cities. Because they are the most concentrated, most multi-ethnic places on earth. It was like, if it would be like if I told you like, hey, we're going to pray for Sacramento. How many know Sacramento is one of the most diverse cities in the nation? We wouldn't be just praying for people that were born here and raised here. We've been praying literally. The world is at our doorstop. Doorstep. We live in one of the most diverse zip codes in all of our nation. Listen, when we pray for Natomas, listen, we're literally praying for the entire world. The modern city of Jerusalem is full of Jews. It has Christians, Muslims, Israelis, Palestinians, and countless other nationalities. And so lifting up this multi-ethnic city and praying for peace within its walls is also a prayer for unity and harmony between every community. How do you know if God could do it in Jerusalem? Come on, he could do it anywhere. So when I'm praying for the peace of Jerusalem, yes, I'm asking God to protect her, but I'm not taking sides between Palestinians or Jews. I'm praying that people would be reconciled to God and to one another. Praying for biblical peace means this, means I'm praying for this, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. That's what that word peace means. Praying for the peace right now of Jerusalem, a multi-ethnic city, means that I'm praying for the exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Come on, how many know that region could use that right now? We're praying when we pray biblical peace for Jerusalem, we're praying peace between individuals, harmony, and unity. 
We're praying for security, safety, prosperity, and listen to this, felicity, which means intense happiness. Right now, there's so much hate in the world. How many know we could use some intense happiness? Another misconception or deception we have to deal with is this. God has no disposition against any human beings, certainly not Arabs, who are the offspring of Ishmael, the other son of Abraham. Genesis 16, 12, 15, you read it. Colossians 3.11 says, in this new life, everybody say new life. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Everybody say, Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. To pray for the peace of Jerusalem doesn't require an anti-Arab stance and doesn't require us to be hostile towards other people. We just participated in communion. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And then last deception we have to deal with is the relentless animosities of sectors of the Arab world are not merely political causes, but they are driven by spiritual powers that will not be satisfied until Israel ceases to exist. This is the meta narrative scripture. Let me just share a quote with you. This was said by a guy by the name of Ghazi Hamad. He said this, Israel is a country that has no place on our land. We must remove it because it constitutes a security, military, and political catastrophe to the Arab and Islamic nation. We are not ashamed to say this. This wasn't said 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. This was said three days ago. Why is Ghazi Hamad not afraid to say something so horrific? Because anti-Semitism is the original racism and hatred for the Jewish peoples has always been driven by a demonic force. Read your Bible. The forces opposed to Israel are not simply those of people who are just anti-Semitic or racist, Semitic or racist. There are spiritual forces greater than humanity, forces that cannot be overthrown politically or by the power of persuasion. These forces can only be broken by intercessory prayer where principalities and powers are cast down. This is why Isaiah 62, six to seven, and I believe God is raising up watchmen in this hour. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise on the earth. So we have to deal with misconception. And he said, are you guys still with me? Secondly, we have to clarify our history. And I'm almost done. There is, I don't, I don't want you to get, I love history, but I don't want to bog you down or bore you down. So I'm, a, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to summarize it. Is that all right? There is a prevailing ignorance of history. And most of us have heard Winston Churchill's quote that says this, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But as it relates to this point of clarifying our history, I wanted to tweak the quote. I wanted to tweak that quote and come up with one with my own. Is that all right? Those who fail to know their history will allow others to revise it. 
The history of the Middle, the Middle East is long and complex. However, the essential issues are not difficult to understand. Everybody say essential. In fact, I want to give you four events in history, modern history, that led to the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Four events in modern history that led to the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. The truth is, is the Jews have been given legal permission to occupy the land by the world community. Understanding the role, again, this is historic things. I'm just gonna, just give me some time. Stay with me, all right? Understanding the role of the rise of early Zionism, the Balfour Declaration, the League of Nations Resolution, and the establishment of Israel as a legal state helps to bring clarity to a general ignorance of history many maintain. How we know we've got to listen? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. The first clarifying historical event we need to pay attention to is Theodore Herzl and Zionism. In 1897, under the leadership of a Hungarian Jew named Theodore Herzl, the movement called Zionism was begun. Now, Zionism in its basic form, because it is evolved, it is a complex subject. We do not have time to dig into it, but I'm talking about in its inception, in its beginning forms, holds that Jews must have a homeland to be secure and free from the persecution of the world. When they were exiled by the Romans, Jews were expected to assimilate in the different nations of the world. They were the only people group in existence without a homeland. And Zionism holds that Jews must have a homeland to be secure and free from persecution in the world. How did Theodore Herzl a secular writer who didn't know anything about Judaism transformed an ancient longing into a modern movement that resulted in the establishment of the state of Israel. The short answer is anti-Semitism. His goal was to find a homeland, a refuge for European Jews. These Jews were experiencing an increase in persecution all over Europe. He is noted as a modern-day Moses, Herzl never saw the country he envisioned, but due to his actions and the actions of the leaders of that day that followed, in 1948, the state of Israel came into being. The next clarifying historical event is the Balfour Declaration. The Balfour Declaration. In 1917, since the 16th century, Palestine and the land of Israel were largely desolate and their cities left as ruins. Again, these are just four events. Everybody say four. Four. Listen, that if you have these these things right here, you can have a conversation with anybody. You can have a conversation with anybody. You guys with me? All right. After the collapse of the Ottoman Empire at the end of World War I, the British occupied the territory and established a mandate declaration giving the Jews the right to reoccupy the land. That's the Balfour Declaration of 1917. In 1922, the League of Nations, soon after the global body 
The League of Nations was the precursor to the United Nations. They issued a directive in 1922 making it legal for Jews to purchase land in the territory and establish small farming communities called kibitzim. Everybody say kibitzim. I don't even know that that's how you say it. Probably not, but that's it. You know a little bit of Hebrew right there. All right. And then the United Nations and Israel statehood on May 14th. 1948, in response to the horror of the Holocaust, which some, even in our day, revisionists are saying, some are even saying that didn't happen, which I've been to the museum and those that women, we've been to the museum. Let me just say, it happened. On May 14th, 1948, in response to the horror of the Holocaust in Europe, the global community established the now resettled Jewish territory as a nation giving birth to a nation in a day. Now, those four events, let me just give you this, was both the legal fulfillment. In other words, they went through the due process of the world community. Not only the legal fulfillment on the world stage, but a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. This is where it gets exciting for me. How do you know when it gets in God's word? Come on. Turn to Ezekiel 37, 22 and 23. It says, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations. Jews were scattered throughout the world. Listen, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own Land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. What's if you look in the Amplified Bible, the study notes say this never in history of the world had such a thing happened before. This is in the study notes, but God keeps his word. As foretold here in Ezekiel 37, Israel became a recognized nation actually born in one day. After being away from their homeland for almost 2,000 years, the Jews were given a national homeland in Palestine by the Balfour Declaration in November 1917. In 1922, the League of Nations gave Great Britain the mandate over Palestine. On May 14, 1948, Great Britain withdrew her mandate and immediately Israel was declared a sovereign state and her growth and importance among nations was astonishing. Listen, this is scripture. Isaiah 66, 8 says this, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be born in one day? Come on, not without God, it can't. But with God, all things are possible. Can a land be born in one day or can a nation be brought Forth in a moment, as soon as Zion was in labor, she also brought forth her sons. Everybody say, that clarifies it. But here's the core of the problem that we're in the midst of today. On May 15th, a day after Israel became a nation, on May 15th, 1948, the Arab world united against the legal establishment of the state of Israel and refused to adhere to global laws and expectations, and most importantly, refused to, uh, refused to help 
their own refugees still remaining in the Jewish zone. The situation as it exists today in the Middle East is made worse by the denial of the root of the problem. Many, not all, everybody say not all. Many, not all Muslims adhere to a portion of Islamic teaching from the Quran, over 200 passages that explicitly direct Muslim violence against Jews, Christians, and all non-believing infidels. This involves a specific agenda, a culture, and a deliberate ignorance. Amy and I had the privilege of having dinner with Sobi and Jerry Malik this last week. <clears throat> Can I just tell you, they go to our church each and every Sunday. They might be here right now, and they'd probably get mad at me if I told you this, but they are responsible of reaching hundreds of thousands of Muslims through Bible translation and he has a book right here that I'm going to actually make available next week on, it's called Islamic Exodus into the Freedom of Christ. A powerful book, a powerful book. And I want to encourage you, listen, if you want to dig deeper, you get this. So what do we do? And I'm going to ask the team to start playing. So what do we do? <clears throat> Come on, we got to run towards fear, amen? We got to engage in worship, We've got to engage in prayer. We can't just check. Come on. We just can't act like this thing is not happening. We've got to pray. We've got to engage in intercession. And then we have to engage in obedience. What is God asking us to do as individual believers in this hour? I know what he's asking me to do. What's he asking you to do? Me Speaking on this is just part of my obedience, church. Just part of my obedience. Abraham Wright said this, there is no chasm in society that cannot be firmly and permanently bridged by intercession. There is no feud or dislike that cannot be healed by the same exercise of love. Will you stand with me today? Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.